as we look at what the Lord has done on our behalf today, we want to reflect on his trials. Life is full of unfairness. I don't know about you, but we all get upset with experiencing unfair things, and no doubt we've had some things that have been done to us that were unfair. As we just observed by way of the video and by way of the music and the poem and our own singing, there's been nothing more unfair than what was done to Jesus Christ. Christ experienced two different trials with three different appearances at each trial. There's a lawyer that took a careful exam of Christ's trials as they're recorded in the scriptures and he had discovered at least 30 illegal things that were done in regard to his trials. We're not going to look at all 30 today. We're going to look at 12 of them later. And it seems so unfair, but when we're done today, we need to be able to thank God for these illegal trials. Because they point out some very important things that we need to know today. So let's begin by looking at some of these illegal things. There were two trials, as I mentioned. Each had three presentations. The first one was a religious Jewish trial. At each one of these trials... He was declared guilty at all three times. Jesus is arrested with the high priest present. And he was taken to Annas. We'll make note of that a little bit later. But Annas was at that point in time in Jewish history the most corrupt high priest the Jews had ever had. Then he was taken before Caiaphas. And Mike pointed out in our Bible study this morning there's something that he never existed. We now have historical documents that prove that he did exist. And he also appeared before the Sanhedrin. And then later, he reported back to the Sanhedrin again. The civil trials was Rome. The high priests, the Sanhedrin, all of them wanted Jesus Christ crucified, and they could not do that under Jewish law. They needed civil law to accomplish this. So he was taken before Pilate. And we're not going to look at all these scriptures. I, um, Dave looked at some of these. I think we're familiar with this, so it would take a long time to look through each one of these. Because again, as Mike pointed out in our Sunday school hour this morning, that not all the Gospels record all the same details at the same time. You have to put them all together to get the full impact. But he's taken before Pilate. And then he was sent to Herod. Pilate realized he had a hot potato on his hands. There's something building here that's bigger than he wanted to deal with, so he tried to pass the buck. And he passed it up to a higher court. Herod, he had heard much about Christ. He even wanted him to do some miracles which Christ didn't do for him. He didn't get his satisfaction, so he sent him back to Pilate. He wasn't going to handle his hot potato. And he left it back to Pilate. Pilate sees that he's really, by Jewish law, or uh, civil law, they could not find anything. And let's turn to John 18. As we see that in each of these trials, 
Under Jewish law, he was declared guilty, but under civil law, he was declared innocent. John 18, 33-40, we read, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did the others tell you this concerning me? Pilate said, I, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me, and have what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to that truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is the truth? And then he said, when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to him, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they cried to him again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Other scriptures also indicate that he was a murderer, as we looked at this morning from Dave's reading. But we find here that Roman law had, I find no fault in him at all. In each one of these civil courts, he was declared innocent. But the Jews seek the crucifixion despite the civil court's conclusion. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Twenty-two, twenty-five. Pilate therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. He thought if he just beat him, that that would satisfy their wrath. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voice of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one, that, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder be thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Pilate seeks to release him, but they cry out for crucifixion. Now, we see here that Pilate caves into his wishes. <clears throat> it's not evident here in Scripture, but Roman history does prove that later Pilate lost his job because of this. The Roman uh, law prided themselves in having accurate court cases and efficient court cases and here Pilate gave in to the wishes of the people instead of going on the facts that he had presented to him. Let's look at 12 of the 30 reasons Christ's trials were illegal. Under Jewish law, in order for you to be arrested, you had to have a formal charge first. There was no formal charge. He was simply arrested. 
Number two, the priests themselves were present when Christ was arrested. Now that might not seem too important, but in that day and age, the priests were the lawyers. So when there was an arrest to take place, they were not to be present because one of them would have to become Lord and they didn't want him to be biased in any particular way. But these men followed the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane and they, they were there when he was arrested. By Jewish law, he was not to be arrested at night, only during the day. We know this is like very early in the morning, uh, probably after midnight, he was arrested. The court that was, was held um, was being held the day before Sabbath. And in a capital case, you needed at least two days. Because on one day he was convicted, the next day his punishment was to be rendered. So they could not have it because the next day would have been a Sabbath and they would not render a verdict on a Sabbath day. So this was all being rushed through despite Jewish law. The court trial itself also was during the night, and this by Jewish law was forbidden. Then there were two false witnesses, and let's turn to Mark, because we are familiar that Scripture says in the Old Testament that if anyone was going to be accused, there had to be at least two witnesses. They had two witnesses, but they couldn't agree. Mark 14, 56-59, we read, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build, a, build another without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. So they had no credible witness against the crime that he was being incriminated. Then as we had read by Dave this morning, they asked him, what is your crime? Are you a king of the Jews? So they used his own words to incriminate him, but if they were going to do this properly, they would have had to look into his claims. Let's turn to Mark chapter, we're in Mark 14, look at 61 to 62. <coughs> but he kept silent, and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of the, of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of the witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? If this court was done properly, what would they have needed to do? They would need to go back and look at the prophecies that he had been proclaiming to see if they were true or not. None of that was done. It was never intended to be done. So his own defense was not considered properly. His sentence was even considered in an, it was passed in an illegal place. Under Jewish law, any sentence could only be done in the judgment hall. The judgment was passed in the home of Caiaphas. It was obvious that the priests and the judges were biased before the trial began. They should have dismissed themselves. But in Mark chapter 15, verse 10, we read, For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Already biased before they even started.
This was a kangaroo court. He was guaranteed to be guilty before it started. The court changes, the uh, um, accusations had also changed. As we have been noticing here, he was being accused of blasphemy. But when he came before Pilate, he was accused of, be, of treason. Verse 61, again, the high priest said, saying unto him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now look at uh, chapter 15, verse 2. Are you the King of the Jews? And the answer said, I am as you say. They're trying to create a case for treason here. That's the only way the Jews or the Romans would crucify him, is if he was trying to set himself up as king over the Caesars. So it went from blasphemy to treason. And then the vote for Christ's guilt. Look at verse 64 of chapter 14. Under Jewish law, the vote for a criminal could never be 100%. And the reason was because one of those had to defend him and would vote for him instead of against him. In verse 64, have you heard the blasphemy? What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. So not one of those Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin would defend them properly as they were supposed to. Now, why do we have this illegal trial here? Why did God record all this in all four Gospels that the trial was illegal? Why is that significant to this whole uh, resurrection process? Well, a legal trial would have proven him innocent. And he would have never been crucified. How did sin begin in the world? It began with deception. It only seems appropriate here that deception would be involved in his trials. It would be the very thing that would take him to the cross. When man forces his godhood, and I remind you, let's go back to Genesis. What was the deception? Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 for God knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil that was the deception do you realize every time you and I choose to sin that's exactly what we're doing we're trying to exercise our Godhood we want life the way we want it we really don't care what God wants that's the pride of it. 1 John 2.16 says that sin is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the pride says, God, I really don't care what you think. I want to do it my way. And we're exercising our Godhood and it's deception. Because somehow we believe that somehow we're going to do this thing and get away with it. And sin always comes home to roost. There's always going to be a consequence. And so deception was one reason he was going to the cross, and it was very evident here. The Roman trials were used to establish his holiness. Two judges of Roman court, high court, determined that he was indeed innocent. He was indeed holy. They were not threatened by the fact that he was calling himself the king of the Jews. 
And in actuality, through Christ, man has placed himself on trial. For when he was in that court, it was my sin, it was your sin that was being judged. He was innocent, but he was taking my place. That is where I should have been. And it was me that should have been hung, hanging on that cross to take the penalty for my sin. But because God is a holy God, he required a perfect sacrifice. And Christ's death was unfair because he was holy, but his death required shed blood. Let's turn to Hebrews 9.22. But according to law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Have you ever wondered why God made Christianity, in a sense, so bloody? It started right from the very beginning, didn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve need to realize that there's going to be a covering for your sin. There's going to have to be an innocent man that's going to die for you. And so what was the first thing that happened? God took an innocent animal that had no sin, that did nothing wrong, and God slit its throat and let it bleed out. He disemboweled it. He skinned it out. And he made clothing for Adam and Eve. That's not just because they were naked. Because they were naked prior to that, and it didn't matter to God. It didn't matter to them. But blood was spilled, and I believe without a shadow of a doubt that as God was doing this, He made Adam and Eve sit on a rock and watch this whole thing. Can you imagine living in a perfect environment where death had never ever taken place? They didn't know what death was. And the first thing that dies, it dies by shedding blood. Now, some of you guys, I'm sure, some of you are hunters, you've killed an animal. You know how the animal acts and it's bleeding out. It's trying to survive. If you've ever butchered an animal by slitting its throat, it's fighting for survival. Blood everywhere. It's not a pretty picture. The common of us enjoy seeing blood. God is built within us as human beings that when we see blood, something serious is happening. I believe every time you and I see blood, we need to be thinking, this blood is being spilled because of sin. Because there was no spilled blood until sin entered human, human history. But when God made those clothing, and Adam saw the process, and... and, and I know what the process is, is to go through to make buckskin, to make clothing out of a hide. And it is a stinky, messy job. It is hours and hours of, of intense labor. Who did all the work to provide the covering for Adam and Eve and for you and I? God did. God spilt the blood of an innocent animal. He did all this work to provide a covering so you and I can have our sins forgiven. And when he made those clothes, and, and as I taught this one time in a church, in fact, it was at uh, Mount Tabor Baptist Church, there was a professor there from ABC who taught Hebrew. 
And he shared this with me afterwards that I didn't know until then. Oftentimes when we see Adam and Eve in their clothing, we see a Tarzan Jane outfit, just barely covering the necessities. He said that word in the Hebrew is far from that. The actual translation is tunic. It covered their body and it was a reminder that when they put that clothing on, someday in the future, an innocent man is going to spill his blood to cover for my sin penalty. And I believe, folks, every day you and I take our clothes off and put our clothes on. It's to be a reminder of our sinfulness before a holy God. But how many of us thought about that this morning when we got up and got dressed? We've forgotten that, haven't we? That's why God had certain peculiarities to the Israelites and how they were to make their clothing. It was not to be mixed because we're not to mix sin in our lives. So blood was spilled. It was necessary. Hebrews 9.27 makes that very clear. Without the shedding blood, there is no remission. So when we see blood, we need to say, oh, there's sin out there somewhere. This blood is being spilled because I am a sinner and I need a redeemer. God wants us to know that sin is serious business. Is our world convinced of that? Absolutely not. They want to relabel it. They want to ignore it. And we've been doing that for a long time. And is our world getting better or worse? It's worse. <laughs> Absolutely. But if every one of us would begin to see sin for what it is and accept what Christ did on the cross for us, guaranteed this world will get better one person at a time. Many of us in this room can tell us stories of what your life was like before salvation and what life now is like afterwards. It's much improved. And if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, there would be no improvement in anybody's life. Because what Christ did the cross didn't just guarantee that someday when I die, I can come from the grave and I can go to heaven. The first thing it began to do was enable me to get, have the ability to overcome my sin issues. And every one of us are sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, yeah, by my standards, some people are worse sinners than others. But, you know, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter how big you are as a sinner. You're a sinner. From the day you're conceived within your mother's womb, you are a sinner. And the only way you're going to escape, and if there's any positive side to abortion, it is for the child. Because when that child's aborted, it goes to heaven. They don't even know about sin. There's no accountability. God takes them to glory. I am not suggesting we go and board all our babies. That's not what God has us do. But sin is serious business. And we need to see that the problems we have in this world, every one of the problems we have, all points back to sin. And Christ died for that. And the blessed hope is this, that someday he's coming back and he, in fact, Pat and I were just talking about that this morning. 
And he, he, he tends to agree with, with me, so he must be right, because he agrees with me. <laughs> I believe in when human history is all done, it's going to be about 7,000 years. The seven-day week, I believe, pictures the, the history of mankind. And we are in that 6,000 years right now. And, and that seventh day was the day of Sabbath, the day of rest. And when is this world ever going to see rest? When he rules for a thousand years. Yeah. It won't be perfect, there'll still be sin, but it will be dramatically reduced because he is ruling. Yes. And the gospel will rule under his leadership. And he won't be like a Hitler. He'll be a gracious, loving God during that thousand year reign. Yes. That's our hope. That's what we're looking for. In fact, the, the curse will be lifted from the animal. We were talking about this a couple weeks ago on Sunday night. We're talking about pets in heaven. And will we have our pets there? I said when, when we get into that thousand year reign of Christ, we get in that final stage of eternity, the whole planet's going to be full of pets. Have you ever gone to the zoo and just want to go up and give one of those tigers a big hug? Just a, a, a beautiful, huggy little kitty or big kitty. <laughs> or somebody brought up the idea about a, a bear. You know, you want to just go up and give a bear a bear hug? During the thousand year reign of Christ, during that final stage of eternity, you'll be able to come out, and all the animals on the planet will be a pet. Even the snakes. <laughs> the Bible says that even in that thousand year reign, the children will play by the, the hole of an asp and not be concerned about it. It's hard for us to imagine, but that just shows the dramatic change that's coming. All because of what Christ did on the cross. All because he was willing to endure these illegal trials. This eagle trial demonstrated just how desperate mankind was. Jesus' identity was clarified and established in the first three court presentations. He was the king of the Jews. They didn't like that thought. At first they did, because remember what, they, what happened a week before? Or even that week? They praised him as their king. Now, I wish we had a king like that today, because with Jesus Christ as our king, we wouldn't need welfare at all, because he could take five loaves, two fish, and feed everybody. We wouldn't need Obamacare, because he'd just put his hands on and heal you. We wouldn't have any problem with illegal courts or, or corrupt courts because he would be the judge. It's no wonder they wanted to be king. But they were looking for a physical king and he wanted to be their spiritual king. The spiritual meant they had to face up to their sin. And they didn't want to do that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, they had the Jews under their control. They were milking money from the people. They were getting rich off the people, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to maintain that. That's why they persecuted the, the Christians after this, and they wanted to stamp it out. That's why Paul tried to stamp them out. They were losing control. Too many Jews were getting saved and leaving the temple. This has got to stop. They tried. But what they didn't know is they were actually playing into the hands of God. This had to happen. Since he was perfect, the only way he could be crucified was by an illegal trial. 
As a result of these many violations, man further incriminated himself. So what should be my response to these illegalities? Thank God for it. It had to be an illegal trial. For being willing to endure this gross unfairness. I don't know if you've ever been to court. I've never even had to be on a jury, do we? Got called up once. And they found out I was a dedicated Christian and a pastor and said, we don't want him on this trial. I would have considered it a privilege, but didn't go there. But maybe you've been in a court case and things didn't go well. We hear of them all the time. Nothing was more unfair. And as we saw in a glimpse of the video that Josh showed us, what Jesus Christ went through. Not just that he was called names, not just because he was spit upon, but they beat his face. It started very gently with an open hand, the Bible says. But that didn't seem to face him, so they started beating his face with a, with a fist. Now, you can imagine what his face must have looked like after they got done with that. I'm, you ever watch a boxing match? And they got gloves on their hands. Can you imagine what he looked like after they got done with closed fists? And then he had a beard because he was a faithful Jew. The men didn't shave their beards. They pulled his beard from his face. I cannot imagine what that must have been like. They took a crown of thorns and there's a crown of thorns up there. And I don't know what that is. I'm sure Jim knows what it is, but there's thorns on that thing like this. They took that and they drove it into his scalp. Then they took the cat of nine tails. And if you're not familiar with that, it was a whip on the end of a stick that had nine straps to it. And on the end of each strap was something sharp tied to the end of it. And when they laid Jesus Christ over that, and they started beating, they would embed those things in his back and they would rip it down to rip the hide off his back. The picture that we saw here this morning, I'm sure was very, very accurate of what he looked like when they got done with him. He was so beaten, he couldn't carry his cross to the hill. He had already lost so much blood and was in so much pain that he was not capable of carrying his cross. And if you ever seen the film Passion, to me the most amazing thing in that movie was when they laid the cross down. They didn't have to force my Savior to go there. He crawled up on the cross and stretched out his arms and said, nail me. And as he drove the nails into his hands, can you imagine what it must have been like for those soldiers? The other two are fighting and kicking and screaming and spitting and, and doing everything he could to keep him from driving those nails. And he's laying there with compassion into his eyes of the soldiers. And in those eyes, they say, this man loves me and I'm driving nails into his hands. 
That's why the soldier could say, this indeed was the Son of God. I've crucified hundreds, but never crucified a man like this. For my sin, he crawled up on the cross and took the penalty for me. How can we not be stirred by that? How can we not appreciate a man that has done that on our behalf? I hope and pray that this never becomes commonplace for me. I must admit there was a day when it really didn't disturb me much. But the more my love grows for him, the more I appreciate it. He was willing to endure the emotional pain. I, I think that was more than more pain than just the physical. We didn't read it this morning, but Scripture tells us that the earth got dark. You know why it got dark? I hadn't been born yet. But my sin was being placed on the shoulders of my Savior. Your sins were being placed on the Savior. And now he's nothing more but scum. And his own holy father could not look at his own son. And so he had to darken it out the world. And in the middle of the day, it was black as pitch. I believe that that time frame in which for the first time and the only time ever in all of eternity, the father and the son were not one. And it was all because of my sin. It's all because of your sin. He is willing to endure my shame. Not just before the Father, but Roman practice was that when you hung on the cross, they stripped you naked. And there you hung. It was the cruelest punishment they could imagine for the worst criminals of the Roman Empire. And he was accused of something he never did. Now we have men sometimes that, like there's one here just recently that was released because of DNA, found out he wasn't there, he wasn't guilty. Spent like 25 years in prison. That is a horrible tragedy. It happens, there's no question about it. But this man didn't go through anything that my Savior went through. But he is willing to endure the crucifixion. He is willing to endure these horrible trials. All this took place within nine hours. All for the purpose of securing my redemption. Let's turn to Mark 16, 6 as we... reflect on the importance of this day. Mark 16, 6. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, emphasizing the fact that he was crucified. He's indeed the man you're looking for. But what to say there? Let's read it together. He is risen. 
Let's see if we can do that a better get and unify a little better. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And there are those who want to be skeptical about his death. Oh, he was just unconscious in the coals of the tomb. Brought him back out. Well, how did he get out of there? He didn't roll that stone away by himself. They can come up with any excuse that they want. But the fact of the matter is, he is risen. Today we have a great deal to be thankful for. Let us thank God for his illegal trials. But in those trials, his holiness was established. He is king of the Jews. There's no question about that. And he had to die. And because my sin is horrible, because your sin is horrible, he had to die a horrible death. And so that we know how serious this is, his death had to be by the shedding of blood. He couldn't have been died by an injection. He couldn't die by an electrocution. He couldn't die by a hanging. He had to die by spilling blood to impress upon us just how serious my sin is and your sin is. Let us not take sins carelessly. But let us do take the love of God and appreciate it for what it is. Everyone in this room wants to be loved by somebody. But we cannot be loved any greater than by God himself. His love is sacrificial. His love is unconditional. But in order for us to appreciate what he has done, we have to choose to love him in return. Again, I remind you of Genesis. God put Adam and Eve in a, in a perfect environment. I wish I could have been there. But I'm reminded, I'm going to be there. Because he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be just like the first one. We're going to see it. If we know Christ is our Savior. But in that perfect environment, that perfect garden, he put one tree in the middle of the garden and said, now leave it alone. If you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Why did he put that there? Because the basis of love is choice. Yes. We have to be able to choose. And as long as they left that tree alone, they were saying, God, I love you 100%. You're my creator. Yeah. I appreciate you. You love me, I love you. But the day they ate of that fruit, in fact, take one step back. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said they were naked and unashamed. He put that there for a reason, because after they ate that fruit, now what did they notice? They're naked and ashamed. They made fig leaves and they're trying to hide from God. Why? I believe this is what happened. Adam and Eve were totally, completely unselfish. Can you imagine that? I can't go one day without being selfish. And they were perfect. When Adam saw Eve, he said, wow, there's someone I can take care of. 
Honey, what would you like? Where would you like your coffee? Where, where, where can I get your slippers? Honey, what can I want? I'm all for you, honey. And when Esau, Adam, totally, completely, 100% unselfish. But when they took that fruit, that was their first selfish act. And now they saw themselves. Saw themselves in a totally different light now because now they're sinful creatures. God designed us that way. Sin, our, our wanting to be covered is, is part of the sin curse. But it's to remind us, I'm a sinner before only God. There was a day when I didn't have to be ashamed of my nakedness. And now I have a choice every day. Every moment. Love Him and obey His word. Or play God. And make decisions for what I want. And that's where I get into trouble. Are you willing to admit to yourself today that you are your own worst enemy? Because I am. I can't. You don't make me sin. No, I live with my wife and daughter. Never during the day they twist. Oh, honey, do this. Do this. This is sin. Go ahead and do it. They don't do that. I make my own choice. And so do you. Why? Because I want to play God. I want my world my way. And that's why this world's a mess. Can you imagine what this world would be like if every human being on the planet loved God and began to obey this book? It would be heaven on earth. Yes, it would. But it's not going to happen. No. Not until the final step is all done. That's already been taken care of because of what my Savior did because He came out of the grave. Yes. The last three words he said. It is finished. Redemption is paid. Yes. It's secured. Yes. All we have to do now is wait for his plan to be worked out. All he's doing now is waiting for those of us that will make that decision, accept eternal life. And someday in history, there's one person that's going to accept Jesus Christ, their Savior, and they're going to be the last one. And when that person makes that decision, you know what the father's going to tell his son? Son, your bride is complete. Go get her. And the rapture's going to take place and we're getting out of here. Yes. And things will get much better after that seven-year tribulation period. But let me tell you today, if you don't know Christ your Savior and you enter that seven-year period, I hope you survive. Two ways. Three-quarters of the earth's population will be wiped out during that time. And some, many, will be going to hell as a result. But if you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you die, you can know for sure you're going to glory. That's why He came. That's why He came out of the grave. That's why this is so important to us today. It's my hope. Yes. When I die, I'm coming out of the grave. Yes. My sin nature's gone. Yes. And I won't live in a sin-cursed world anymore. Isn't that awesome? Yes, That's what we celebrate today. Yes. So I thank God that he had three or two illegal trials to determine who he was and his holiness. So I know within my own heart, he is my redeemer. Yes. Father, thank you for the word. What you've done on the cross is more than this pea brain can comprehend. 
but I take it by simple faith that you love me enough to endure all that so I don't have to worry about going to hell. You paid the penalty for my sinfulness. And God, I thank you for that today. May I never lose sight of it. May I want to live a good life, not to earn my way into heaven, but to show my love towards you because I can't love you enough. I want my love for you to be 100%, but it's not. I, I just plead, God, help me to love you more every day because I know your love for me is already 100%. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.